The medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen into these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. Have you ever had the experience in clinic when a patient says something and it just stops you in your tracks? There's a kind of gravity and brilliance about what they just said that completely resonates with you. The feeling in the room changes. I had that happen the other day when a patient of mine said, a listening heart perceives meaning. It really got me thinking about the importance of listening, and it reminded me how Ting, the Chinese character for listen, at least the traditional form of it, actually tells you what's involved in deeply listening. I'll be back a little later in the show to unpack that character for you. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. 
and tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. There are currents in our medicine that say we should be very cautious around the heart. In fact, it's best not to treat it directly. And even in our modern world, treating cardiac issues is something I suspect most of us feel some uncertainty and anxiousness about. You know, we don't really get this kind of training here in the West. So I'm looking forward to this conversation with Ama Ziv as he's gone deep into Chinese medicine cardiology. And as he pointed out to me in a pre-interview conversation, ischemic heart events are only a small part of a cardiologist's practice. Most issues with the heart are issues of a chronic nature. And you know, Chinese medicine has options that conventional medicine doesn't. Let's get into this. Amas, welcome to Geological. Hi there. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty fun. You know, we get to connect like across time zones and oceans and all this stuff and talk about Chinese medicine. Wonderful. Looking forward. Today, our topic is Chinese medicine cardiology. I'm curious. I mean, we don't hear many people that do Chinese medicine cardiology. What are the influences that drew you to doing this? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I uh, uh, studied Chinese medicine in uh, San Francisco, California, back in uh, 98. And in my second year of school in the American College of TCM, ACTCM, there was a Chinese delegation from Chengdu mm-hmm. that came to the school and gave uh, a couple of lectures and sessions. And now the head of the delegation was a professor who was the head of the Department of Cardiology in one of the major hospitals in Chengdu. And he was giving a lecture on Chinese herbs and heart failure. And instantly, bam, wham, within you know, 30 minutes, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And, and from, that, from then on, I pursued that. And it actually made things pretty easy for me in school because I, everything was geared toward cardiology. You know? so, yeah, you knew what you wanted. You were focused. Yeah, I was, I was really focused. And again, studying from the second year. I'll tell you later on more about this, but you know, all the way to the end of the school, that was my focus. And then after that, of course, I went to China and I spent 
almost uh, eight months in a department of cardiology. But that was the kind of the initial thing that kind of drew me into it. There was also another thing. There was actually a Harvard uh, cardiologist that uh, my brother-in-law introduced me to who was very holistic in his approach. And he was saying, you know, I, I, I see Chinese medicine really working in cardiology. So that was kind of... It was uh, it was uh, a support. He really, he saw Chinese yeah. medicine working in cardiology. How did yeah. he come across that? I, I, well, I, I did someone that I only met like briefly, but I remember as a student that was a, that was a great influence, and then, the timing was also interesting because both of these things happened kind of around, around that same month. And I was saying, God, this, this professor of cardiology says that he sees this working, and I get this mm-hmm. guy from Chengdu, and yeah, that these are kind of connecting the dots was the next thing to do. You know, it's curious sometimes how we pick up these bits of inspiration. Yep. And it totally changes the direction that we take in our life. Definitely. Definitely. It was something like like dawned on me instantly. It was like crystal clear that this is it. This is this is this is what I'm gonna do. So and you know, over the year it kind of even developed, you know, and I developed that also from a personal point of view, philosophical point of view, you know, the heart being the emperor, the connection of the heart and the shen and the soul and everything comes together. But but the initial the initial incentives were, were these 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 two these the meeting of these two people actually. Yeah. I want to get into that. Actually I want to get into it right now, since mm-hmm. you brought it up. Heart, soul, emperor, blood. Yeah. For that matter. Yeah. I, I know in my life I've had a few experiences in and it's Really, it's just a handful of experiences, but something comes along and I'll hear something where something is presented to me, much like you with cardiology. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to like do the pro and con list. I don't have to like use my spleen rumination Mm -hmm. to work it through. I Mm -hmm. hear it and I go, yep, that's what's happening. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, definitely. I, 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 you know, the, the the Western term for that is intuition. I think it's uh, the Chinese view of that is more broad and actually more accurate. Uh, these decision make these decisions that we make and these these moments that we realize things and then after first we realize and then we know. I think that's that's kind of that's kind of how I see. It. Realize and then we know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's a realization first, and then you kind of analyze it with logical uh, analytics. Uh, and then you say, yeah, yeah, this is what it is. And then, then it becomes like knowledge, and then uh, or and, and then you follow it. And uh, actually, one of the things that drew me into Chinese medicine is is actually uh, energetical, uh, energetical uh, uh, medicine. I, that's Tai Chi. I, I used to do, since I was like uh, 13 or 14, I used to do martial arts it was japanese martial arts the karate and stuff and and i switched to tai chi chuan when i was about 20 and and at the same time i didn't say my background is is, is sciences my i did my bachelor's in, uh, and master's in, in biology and uh, life sciences and during that time switching from the external martial arts to the internal martial arts and starting to feel these sensations of chi this was kind of what drew me in to chinese medicine in general uh, coming back to what we just said these these realizations or these um, notions or this knowledge, you know, there's a saying in, in 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 Qigong: imagination leads the mind, the mind leads the qi, and you know, and then Father Qi leads the blood, leads the blood, and the blood leads the shen. So uh, this this kind of like a circle. 
I, I really think the process of, of making decisions is based on a number of things. One of them, and you know, sometimes we call it intuition, but this intuition is based on our cognitive knowledge on the one hand, subconscious knowledge on the other hand, experience, and then something greater, which is just like a hook, a hookup to 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 you know to a higher knowledge. And this triad is what kind of gets us to to a point saying, "Aha, this this is it. This is what's going on." And this and and, and luckily, off, often this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an undeniable and often unsettling feeling. Yes. Yeah, the Chinese have a phrase. It's often translated as fate. Mm-hmm. They call it yuan fun. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's quite fate in the same way that we think in Western terms, like, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen regardless. You're kind of doomed to something. It's more like opportunity meets willingness. I agree. That's a nice nice way of saying that. Mm. Yeah. Opportunity meets willingness. Yes. I, You know, I consider myself really lucky, and all of us, I think, to, to, to do something that we really love. Clinic for me, especially during conditions of the heart or cardiology is something that I enjoy. I enjoy a lot. I enjoy, of course, and the influence and and, the, and 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 I guess we'll talk about this soon. Chinese medicine is unbelievably effective for, for uh, several cardiovascular disorders. The pe- people are not aware of that. Um, I guess we'll get to that later on, but there's a lot of, there's a sensation of fulfillment. I guess, you know, we, we have that also with treating any condition, but there's something about, for me, there's something about treating someone's heart, which, you know, you, 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 you kind of need to have so much respect to even approaching someone's heart and cardiovascular uh, and cardiology. So, so yeah, over the, over the years, when you get that and when you, you find that avenue, it has to be, and it has to be so respectful. And then when you do influence the, the, the fulfillment and the sensations, it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I hear you use this phrase, respect in approaching the heart and it just i mean it sends a total tingle through my spine because it's true and i know for myself because i'm not trained in this and when you think about issues especially cardiological issues at least for me and, and maybe some of our listeners can relate to this one of the first things that comes up for me is fear right we yeah. talk about the heart kidney access because Someone's got a heart condition. It's like, this could be, you know, it's usually serious stuff. Yeah. And what if I do something wrong? What if they have a heart attack? What, you know, what if, right? There's there's all that stuff there. And it occurs to me as I hear you say this, it's really not that I've got fear. I mean, there is some fear, but it's more that, oh, yes, I want to be very respectful of what I'm doing here. That's, That's a really helpful piece. Yes, and I see that, and I, I would approach this notion of being respectful from two directions. Being careful is one, but also, like, uh, and, and, you know, we'll talk about, about, you know, things that you need to do, things that you can't do, things that you need to learn uh, to avoid. I guess we'll talk about that. But um, being careful, caring before careful, but also respect because, you know, uh, when you approach the emperor, uh, you you must be humble. <laughs> so from that from that aspect as well, it's common, and I see that with 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 many practitioners, that people are drawn to the field of cardiology, but at the same time, 
because uh, of the potential, let's say at least, the potential for for harm, I don't see many practitioners doing Chinese cardiology. And, and, and that's a shame because I think, apart from the fact that, that, that it's very effective, there are several, let's say, levels of, I mean, you can start with cardiovascular risk factors that, that everybody know that we, you know, if it's a high blood pressure or if it's lipids or if it's uh, uh, blood sugar, this is a good way, would be a good way to start but uh and build your guess i guess your confidence but if you're asking yeah i hear that i encounter that also i, I teach you know when i teach in conferences or or in workshops on, on cardiology uh this comes up uh, often and I, I i do i have to say that it, it is true that the fact that i have you know a scientific western background helps a little bit it's mm-hmm. I mean, uh, still i'm not a, i'm not a physician and uh, i'm not uh trained in, in in cardiology it does help but i think once you go like for example if you if you if you're fortunate enough to be able to see a cardiology ward in china that's a huge confidence builder it's a huge confidence builder because you see these these patients getting at the same time getting drugs getting herbs getting acupuncture and you see this on it. This, this, this for me was 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 a big, uh, let's say, uh, apprehension breaker, because once you see it and you experience it, then then, then it becomes you know uh, more approachable. Yeah, you know it's possible. You've seen it. It's not it's not an idea. It's not in a book. It's not a theory. There's a whole ward of people that are being helped, and you're seeing how it's working. Right. Right. Exactly. And and even and another another thing is it's always nice to go back to the classics. You know, if you go back to the classics in terms of uh, uh, specific diseases that we have uh, going all the way back to you know 300 uh, BCE, chest pain or Xiongbi. So there's there's a, or, or or even you know so arrhythmias and heart attacks is something that Chinese medicine has been treating for 3,000 years even before Western diagnostics. So that's also something to remember. You have very specific syndrome differentiation and analysis on chest pain and on palpitations. And you have two types of palpitations, the more shin-related palpitations and the more the more organ-related palpitation. This is very much like the Western view. You have you have arrhythmias, which are, originate for uh, more, uh, uh, let's say, stressful or psychological conditions. And you have arrhythmias, which originate from like, changes organic changes in the heart so keeping in mind or bearing in mind the chinese medicine uh was geared and has developed treating cardiovascular disorders for centuries that also kind of helps to to get cardiology more approachable yeah well you know what is it that they like to say these days we are using evidence-based medicine yeah 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 we got three thousand years of it yeah exactly and even yeah. and even if you take a look you know take a look at the um uh, the herb categories. I don't know how many of our listeners uh, do to herbs or not, but if you open any of the of the new textbooks, uh, e- even 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 the uh, uh, the classical textbooks like you know like uh, Bensky's book, and and you look at uh, symptoms of cardiology, uh, there are so many herbs and herb categories that cover different aspects of of, of uh, cardiovascular conditions, which is amazing. For example, the blood moving herbs sections which is one of the biggest sections almost each and every one of these herbs we know for a fact even from a western perspective these days that they have they have uh, uh, functions or pharmacological functions that affect blood circulation and cardiovascular functions so on and so forth so so like like we have all the tools why not use them (laughs) 
Why not use them? Yeah. Well, let's let's get into some of that. What are some some basics that people should know about? I mean, maybe they're not going to become Chinese medicine cardiologists, although it sounds like you've got some learning resources that will help people with that. We can get into that later. But just someone in their regular practice, maybe someone comes in, they've got they're on statins, yep. or they've got some kind of cardiovascular issues, arrhythmias or something. Yep. How can we begin to at least think about and start to cozy up and approach some of these issues so we so we can learn and build our confidence and maybe learn a few more things after that so i i, I would say a good start would be cardiovascular risk factors mm -hmm. so when you treat patients uh, like you patients that like suffer from uh, hyperlipidemia or uh, or imbalances of lipid profile these patients don't involve any any uh, any immediate risk treating them that doesn't involve any immediate risk so treating these patients with acupuncture and herbs is a good start treating high blood pressure which we've all even learned in school is a good start mind you treating blood pressure is is, is tough it's not it's a tough cookie it's not an easy cookie to to crack and of course, the Western meds work much faster, but uh, but still, we get good results if we involve uh, our patients with lifestyle modifications and acupuncture and herbs. So that's 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 another one. And I think one of the most surprising things for me over the years how effective acupuncture acupuncture and specifically acupuncture is for treating palpitations and arrhythmias. It's it's, it's fantastic, and even if you do the, you know simple things like like removing excess. Uh, accumulation of qi stagnation from the liver, which is affecting the pericardium and is causing palpitation. Something really simple, like using you know sp simple tools, you know, like in PC6 and Global 34 and liver 14 stuff like that, and CV17. You get actually really, really interesting and, and good results. Again, if if you, if your syndrome analysis and then your diagnosis is correct, then you know, starting with the simple things you know, like high blood pressure, like lipid profiles, like sugar imbalances the, the, these are good things to start with and later on you can you, know, you can as you accumulate more experience you can move into things like heart failure you know the, the, the holy grail is heart failure because we're able to help patients with heart failure which is which is which is amazing um, yeah i want to get into that in just a moment but i, I want to come back first to the arrhythmias and palpitations yes because, I mean, I see a fair amount of, of patients who have had arrhythmias, and, and many of them opt for this oblation surgery, Yeah, mm -hmm. where they snake a wire up and they find the part of the heart that's misbehaving from their point of view, and they just, you know, carterize it. Right. What do we have to offer to those kind of patients that have this kind of an organic arrhythmia? Okay. It's a great question. The ablation procedure where they actually enter with a catheter and they try to either burn or freeze tissue that they uh, suspect is causing the problem. This procedure normally uh, is, is conducted for patients that have AFib or atrial fibrillation, which is a very common, uh, which is a very common arrhythmia. Um, they do that also for people who have multiple premature heartbeats if they have more than 20,000 in 24-hour ECG. And they also do it for several others. But most commonly, and the most common arrhythmia, in fact, from a Western perspective, is called AFib or atrial fibrillation. And I see many of these patients. I see quite often. I see quite a lot of these patients because this is like the most common arrhythmia. Mm -hmm. 
so definitely we can help. Now, this depends on the stage or phase of, of this patient, for example, because atrial fibrillation has three distinct stages. The first thing is called paroxysmal, or used to be called, but they changed the name now, but it's paroxysmal where it actually comes and goes spontaneously. And the second phase, when it's, it's, it's called like uh, persistent AFib, when it comes and doesn't leave unless you go to the hospital to get either an IV drug or uh, electrical shock to, to the heart. That's the second phase. That's persistent. And the last part, the last phase, uh, or the worst one, is called chronic AFib, where patients actually live with their atrial fibrillation. Obviously, like everything in Chinese medicine, we can be most helpful with the first group. The group that has um, paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, they have these bouts of, of, of arrhythmia of heart, high and irregular heart rates, which can go up to 160 and even more. And uh, depending on how long they've had it, some patients we can almost completely eradicate it if they, if they came in early enough, saying, let's say within a year from diagnosis. And even though the patient patients that have had this more than a year, we can, if, if not completely cure this, we can definitely put them into remission or long, long remissions or reduce what is called the AFib burden. AFib burden is how many bouts they have each week, how long is each one, um, and how severe are the symptoms. So often what we do, what we see is once we start treating these patients, they have, initially what you see is they have less AFib attacks or bouts, and they have, um, the duration is less. So for, instead of being 12 hours, it's only like two hours. And then and then the symptoms gets much better. They don't, they don't feel the symptoms as much. And this is a good indication that you're, you're in, in the right direction. Having said that, it's still a tough condition to treat. And I think, you know, most pa patients come in and they say, I want to get rid of this. Can you get rid of this completely? And this is kind of what they're expecting with the ablation as well. Mm -hmm which sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. Right. Ablation success rates go anything from 50% to, to 90%, depending on the person, on the condition, on the location of the, of the uh, uh, it's called the ectopic area where, the, where those beats are, and also on the, on the skills of the surgeons. Mm -hmm. So uh, definitely there's, there's success rates are varied. And it's, it's, it's also the same for us. I mean, some patients we get, you know, uh, we completely stop their AFib bouts. Some patients we reduce their AFib burden uh, quite significantly, you know, to the fact that they have my, maybe one episode for over like an hour or so every few months, which is something unbear um, still bearable. And uh, with some patients, we don't succeed, uh, I would say. So... And atrial fibrillation is just one one condition, but there's another very common condition which a lot of people suffer, and that's premature heartbeats. Premature heartbeats, or they're called PVCs or APCs, depending on their origin and the heart, are very common. It's like um, you know they're commonly called skipping skipping heartbeats or skipping beats, where people actually feel it either like a skipping beat or like a pause or like a several, just for a few seconds, they feel like three or four or five or 10 uh, fast beats and they come and go. Mm -hmm. And this this is a condition where we, we actually uh, are extremely helpful and, and, and the success rates are very high, like I'd say more than 90%. And the condition by itself uh, is not a life-threatening condition. If you want to start with treating arrhythmias, 
and then, then premature heartbeats is something which which is it's a very good start because the results are excellent with acupuncture and herbs. It's not a it's not a life threatening condition, and uh, many many of these things are triggered by things that we know how to treat in terms of you know st stress and sleep and food and so on. Maybe one more thing I want to say is is a, is a, is the strategy of how we treat uh, arrhythmias. The strategy involves treating. It's like a root burn and biao. It's a root and branch strategy. Um, you want to treat the, the the differential diagnosis exactly as you see it, but you also want to want to treat triggers. There are many things that actually trigger arrhythmias. For example, a big meal in the evening triggers arrhythmia. For example, uh, blood deficiency or anemia, uh, the, the tendency is higher. Obviously, stress does that. But there's also things like posture. Patients that have arrhythmias when they lie on the left side have more arrhythmias. And we find areas like gallbladder 24 and liver 14 to be tender there. And once you desensitize those areas with acupuncture, then, then you eliminate those triggers and they can lie on the side. They don't. So there's often we, we look at triggers and we look also at the root cause. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Wow. Give me just a moment to collect my thoughts here. This is a lot of information. You know, I can go on for days on cardio. I know this is great. <laughs> Well, you know, I was just going to comment on the uh, premature heartbeats. This is something we see a lot in clinic because we just go to take someone's pulse and we go, oh, yep. it's kind of intermittent. Yep. Yep. We, I mean, we see this a lot, right? You can probably see it several times in a week. Yes. Is, is yeah. my suspicion. And quite often, just whatever you're treating, whatever they've come in for, and you're treating with acupuncture. Yep. I mean, generally, that's is going to go away. Yep. In treatment. Right. Right. Often because it's got our attention, and we're looking. You know, can we get this pulse to to even out? Exactly. So exactly. that, yeah, it, it responds really well to acupuncture. In in terms of the arrhythmias, you know, maybe in between the premature heartbeat and and sort of that first stage of uh, of AFib, any herbs in particular, any formulas in particular. Yeah, that you find yourself using a lot, and again, any acupuncture points or combinations that seem to show up on a regular basis for these. Well, the 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 nice thing about this is this is cardiology 
treatments with Chinese medicine is not rocket science, Chinese medicine. <laughs> it's more simple than people think. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you follow your, and, and, and I've got, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll outline in a second, uh, like major differential diagnosis, but basically if you follow your TCM syndrome differential, differential, then you're, then you're on the right track. But still, yes, there are definitely, I would say this, the arrhythmias that respond very quickly to our treatments are the arrhythmias that involve things that have to do with emotions. Leverage stagnation invading the pericardium, leverage stagnation invading the pericardium and moving to the shower, yang, for instance, also uh, with, with, you know, with tension in, in the neck and, and, and headaches and migraines. Liver blood deficiency uh, with women, especially more palpitations and more arrhythmias after the menstrual period, for example. So, so these are things that respond very well. I, I often use for these things. I use really simple things like you know PC6, gold blood, the 34, <laughs> CV17, and, and maybe liver 14. And and I guess the key sign and symptom would be. Uh, we used to call this hypochondriac pain, but it's not necessarily that. It, I see that when people, when people sigh a lot, when they do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, yes. <laughs> that repeated sighing. Right. And then immediately I check for tenderness on, on these points on the money, you know, liver 14, gold butter 24. And, and often these points are tender. And when we release that, basically the sighing is is just, Basically, what this is, you know, some people come in and they say, you know, I'm short of breath. Is this my heart? What's going on? Do I have a heart condition? It's no. It's and 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 I tell them, listen, you are aware of the fact that when you have stress, sometimes it goes through your shoulders and shoulder blades, right? And they say yes. And I say, well, but there's also muscles between between your ribs. They call the intercostal muscles. Mm -hmm. And you can take you can take stress. Many of us uh, get stressed in that area. And what that does is it congested congests your rib cage and when it congests your rib cage you find it difficult to get air in and you do this <sighs> these this uh, uh, attempt to to get air inside and that and when people realize that first of all they come down they say okay so um okay it's not my heart right i'm not going to die of a heart attack right it's it's just yeah it's just uh, it's just tension and something as simple as PC6, CV17, Goldberg 34, and liver 14 for this kind of condition, within one or two treatments, gets you 50% of the way there. So, yeah, always look for these people that sigh a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that so many times. I, I often see it as a liver condition, and it's really congesting the diaphragm as well. Yes, yes. You get that all of them open up, and, and then the chi just flows in both directions, and it's it's so much better yeah and I, I do want to say one more thing I, I don't know if this is the time to say it or but i can say that for me personally the breakthrough in my understanding that my treatments are very effective in terms of of treating arrhythmias mm -hmm. is when i bought from amazon or ebay a, a handheld ecg which is something that you can buy for under under a hundred dollars handheld handheld ecg is a handheld one lead ecg what that does is, you know, when you feel the patient's pulse and you see the arrhythmia, you say, "You well, let me, let me, let me, let me record this for a second. And you can record that, and you can count how how many VPCs they have in in a thirty second stretch uh, or two minutes, and 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 then you actually see the the, the before and after the treatment, uh -huh. the improvement, uh, and it's totally measurable. Right. 
And people love that. People love to see that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you print it out to them. You say, here's the before, yeah. here's the after. You had you had 25 VPCs before. You have eight now after. Then they see how from week to week it kind of decreases. So, you know, people in the Western world, they love them, you know, the mm -hmm. measurements. So, you know, so that for me, that was like the best investment in my cardio, cardiovascular. And by the way, now I use like uh, monitors and ECGs and I have a, a bunch of other things that I'm using, but this is how I started. And that was kind of showing me, man, if I'm not just, you know, I can measure the, the success. That, that's that, which is something which is, you know, with, with dermatology, you see it with cardiology is often very elusive. Right. hundred bucks on Amazon. That sounds like a great investment. Yeah. Even less these days. Yeah. Time now for a quick break. Earlier, I promised you I'd explain how the Chinese character for listen actually instructs you in what's involved in listening. The character is pronounced ting, and the traditional form is made up of the characters for ear, eyes, and ready for this, heart. Makes sense, doesn't it? To listen, to really listen, it involves all of these senses. I hope that you find listening to Geological stimulates your mind and heart and helps you to better help your patients. If you feel inclined to help support the show, I've created a Patreon page so you can contribute to this endeavor by becoming a contributing subscriber. In addition to feeling the satisfaction of knowing you're helping to support a podcast that you love, there are a few special goodies available for those contributing subscribers. For those details, head over to geological.com and click on the Patreon button to help keep a little inspiration in the teacup. And now, let's get back to the rest of today's show. I want to come back to another one of these uh, common risk factors. Yep. And, and that has to do with lipids, cholesterol. You know, there's a lot of talk these days that cholesterol is not the demon that we used to think it was. I mean, yes, it, yes, you will find it in occluded arteries, but you know, there's some talk these days that, well, cholesterol is not the issue. There's something that's causing the cholesterol to form there and to collect. But, you know, every single cell membrane of our body needs cholesterol. All the sex hormones need cholesterol. I mean, there's a lot of body processes. Cholesterol is not the enemy. Right. When you're thinking about working with lipids and cholesterol and all that stuff, statin drugs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. what are your thoughts these days? How do you work with, because this is something a lot of people come in with it. Again, it's like the beginning of the cardiological journey for a lot of folks. Cardiological. I think that's a new word. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with this? How do you work with this stuff? Okay. So I think the first thing I would want to emphasize is relative risk. And let me let me say what I mean. There are two models from a Western perspective. There are two models of, of of how you should treat lipids. In the U.S., it's very simple, and it's often industry driven. Uh, if your cholesterol is above a certain threshold level, you should take your statins to reduce it. Okay, regardless of other conditions. In Europe, and specifically in the U.K., they follow a different, a little bit of a different model, where they actually calculate the overall risk for a person to develop uh, cardiovascular conditions. So meaning that if you have high cholesterol and you have high blood pressure and your sugar is out of balance and you have a family history and you have a sedative lifestyle and you're a smoker, 
Okay, then your risk factor is much higher to developing cardiovascular or, or coronary artery disease. And then they give you a score and they say, okay, according to the score, we need to reduce your lipids to a certain degree. So this is something kind of to keep in mind. So that's kind of like in general. So that's the first thing I want to say. The other thing, which is even more important, is kind of what the point that you mentioned. What's the story with cholesterol? Uh, well, obviously, cholesterol is is a huge uh, necessity for the body, for the, you know, for the sex hormones, for the cell membranes, for the glial cells in the brain. So, and the body is producing cholesterol because it needs it. So, killing LDL to levels which they try to do now be below 100 or below 70, and they even do, they try to do this. Pre- primary prevention now it's like giving kids statins to prevent like aspirin to reduce it's horrible this is like a horrible thought and, and I'll, I'll get into my take and how i deal with this in a second but i'm kind of doing like a whole overview statins is the holy grail drug of of the 21st 20 late 20 and uh, and, and early 21st century that's well that's it's, it's a blockbuster drug and they're making a lot of money on that. Mm-hmm. So obviously that influences the, the policies. Having said that, they have shown in mega clinical trials that reducing cholesterol levels does save lives. You can't argue with that. But I guess the key would be the overall assessment of risk. So let's say uh, your total cholesterol should be up to 200 and the patient comes in and they have 240 or something, 240, but they don't have any other risk factors you know, I tell them, you know, this is cool. This is okay. And uh, I'm not feeling that I'm taking a, a risk there. So th- they may go back to their family physician and he would say, no, 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 no. We need to get your cholesterol below 200. But it, it's their decision. And and research, like you've said, recent research is showing that uh, maybe it's not exactly what they thought before. And taking in mind the, the side effects of these drugs. Oh, yeah. And I'm seeing that because I see so many, I see patients right after they have a heart attack because they come to me as part of their rehab uh, rehab program. That's where they're on high dosage of statins, 80 milligrams a day, 100 milligrams a day. And that's when you see all these side effects. And the side effects go anything from, you know, the muscle pains are just the common ones and, and, and the, the simple ones. But increased risk of diabetes, there's the increased risk of, of uh, eye damage and memory, memory loss, uh, transient memory loss. I just, you know, I just had a patient, um, 48 years old, had a heart attack. He was on these uh, statins of, I think it was 80 milligrams a day. And he was saying he runs a, fa- a plant or a factory where they actually produce this algae for, for, for a and he couldn't remember the name of the algae that he was producing in the plant. It was that it was that bad. And once he got off, so so definitely there's the side effects. But on the other hand, if you do have a patients that have had you know one or two heart attacks before, and they have other risk factors, and their and the and the total cholesterol is 100 is 280, and their LDL, their bad cholesterol, so-called bad cholesterol, is is high. Yeah, definitely these patients do need to take statins to reduce or maybe not instead of do need to reduce their cholesterol levels. Right. They need to do, and they need to reduce the risk factors. What I'm hearing you say is like here in the States, you get a test. Oh, it's above this mark. That equals a statin deficiency. I mean, of course there is no such thing <laughs> as a statin deficiency, but, but they act as if it is what you're saying. What I'm hearing you say, there's the levels of cholesterol, there's your blood sugar, there's your hereditary factors, your lifestyle. I mean, there's there's a whole three-dimensional picture 
Yes. That yes. if you take that into consideration, then a number on a test, it has a different meaning. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And one more thing I want to say about that is, and, and I have to say, I'm contemplating this on, on my uh, on myself. I don't, I'm not sure I have a hundred percent. My take is not a hundred percent on that yet. I'm, I'm still developing that, but on the one hand, obviously we do need uh, lipids and cholesterol on the body. But on the other hand, I, I've definitely seen that patients that undergo, for example, a very stressful period, especially young period, all of a sudden, and we see from a Chinese perspective, it's very obvious, like it's a Jwayin liver pericardi issue or liver gallbladder issue. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they have increased cholesterol. So that indicates to me, this is a patient that, uh, despite the fact that his cholesterol is not very high, I still want to, because it's presenting as as a whole, as part of a bigger disharmony with these patients, yes, I would treat them, even, even, even because because it happened just, you know, recently or in conjunction to when they had a very stressful period and you see all these other symptoms of liver, pericardium, and gallbladder. And so you say, okay, so this is a patient that we do need to rebalance. And we see that, you know, we treat them for two, three months and the cholesterol goes, goes back down and everything comes back to normal. I, I want to come back to this thing about statins and memory loss for just a moment. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the muscle pain that people can get from statins because sometimes people come in because of body aches and pain. And what we discover is, well, they're actually their statin drug is causing that. So how do we treat your muscle pain? Well, let's treat the reason why you're on a statin drug. I mean, that's a very common side effect. I, I think all of us see it. This thing with yeah. memory loss, this is the first that I've heard of this. And it makes me wonder about people that have been on statins for years. Mm. What might this do to memory you know, over the course of a decade or two. Have you got any thoughts about that? It's, it's an interesting point. Um, okay, so I started to notice this, I'd say years ago, five, six, seven years ago, I started no- to notice this location. And, and, I, and I, I'm constantly on top of research uh, on that because I'm, you know, I'm, because of my scientific background, I, I, you know, I get alerts on studies and so on and so forth. And I started uh, looking into seeing if there are any indications from a Western research uh, perspective, that 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 there are indications that this is true, and I didn't find anything. However, in the past two or three years, this starts to come up, and you see, initially it was just initial case studies, and just you know six months ago, I actually saw a study that they, that that actually showed that uh, there's there's some they still call it transient short-term memory loss with high dosages of statins. So they, they and and I remember I, I was you know I, I was talking to the cardiologist that I work with years ago and saying do you guys see this and they were saying no no this does not happen I said but you know I see this with patients maybe because we ask more questions mm-hmm. so we see these things that they don't right uh, and they were saying and even and now recently I started hearing even from cardiologists saying you know what yeah we've heard about this it's still not established. There isn't research, research. They haven't changed anything. The guys, but we've heard about this. So it's kind of like a new thing uh, that they're that they're kind of t- looking at. But I, I do want to say that, again, from what I've seen, patients that are on high dosages, once they reduce their dosages, uh, this this goes away. But coming back to what you're asking, 
That's a great question. I don't have an answer for that, but that's I, I obviously intuitively I would say if someone is on a statin for a long time, I would like to see a research on the, the link between dementia and Alzheimer's and statins, uh, and you know a retrospective study going going like twenty years back and see. I would definitely like to see that. I don't know if anything anyone's doing that, but. Uh, I'd say the risk is there. The risk is there. But again, I'm, it's not established. Are you familiar with David Perlmutter's work? I'm familiar with his name, but no, not on the off. Nice Jewish boy from Florida. He's a, he's a neurologist. And he, he's, he's kind of a, he's one of these popular docs in a way. And he's written a book. What was the name of his book? The name of the book escapes me. But he's been looking at Alzheimer's and dementia and that sort of thing. He's big on controlling blood sugar. He's big on, he thinks of Alzheimer's and dementia as kind of a diabetes type three, long-term issues. And one of the things that he's seen is the increase in statin prescriptions seem to correlate with increases in Alzheimer's over the past couple of decades. Now, whether there's actually a connection or it's coincidental or, you know, what's actually going on, we don't, you know, I think it's fertile ground for inquiry, but he's, he's done some work in that area. You know, as you, as you were speaking, I just Googled statins and memory loss, and I didn't even have to complete the sentence. You know how Google. It already knows what you're thinking. Yeah, so it was doing it was doing statin, and I just go and and I see this study from 2015, statin therapy and risk of acute memory impairment. I'll go, I'll jump down all the way down to the conclusions, and I'll just read it to you. It's just two lines. It says this: both statins and non-statins LDLs were strongly associated with acute memory loss in the first 30 days following exposures to use. So. Obviously, there's research on this now too. So it's not, it's not, it's, 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 it's more, it's becoming more and more established. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. And, and what's interesting to me about this, we're talking about the heart, we're talking about the blood, the emperor. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, memory is part of the domain of the heart. Definitely. Definitely is a uh, part of the domain of the heart and the blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the and shen. The blood and the shen. Exactly. So 
normally when we look at poor memory or memory loss or poor concentration, we look at liver, heart liver blood deficiency, uh, heart liver blood deficiency. Now, again, if we're trying to see what do statins do from a Chinese perspective, well, they cool and they reduce dampness and phlegm. Maybe what they're doing is they're kind of drying up the blood a little bit from, uh, again, uh, causing some, but I can't say that I've seen classical symptoms of blood deficiency with people that are on high doses of statins. So I, I really don't know. I really don't know. There, there is a mechanism that we can explain that, but, you know, again, I'd have to kind of mm-hmm. further inqu- inquire that. Yeah. We were talking earlier about something that is sort of the next phase of cardio- cardiologic risk factors and, you know, one of the big reasons that people go to cardiologists and that's heart failure. Yep. Mm-hmm. What can we do about this? Okay. Let me start with a just a recent case study, uh, case example. I have a patient. She's a nurse. She's 48 years old. No, sorry. She's 58 years old. She has cardiomyopathy, which is basically an enlargement of the heart muscle, which is causing third-degree heart failure. Uh, heart failure is also d- divided into classes, class one, class two, class three. It's called the New York Heart Association classification. And it basically had to do with how much dyspnea on exertion you have. If it's just, you know, if you just when you walk up the hill or if you walk uh, you straight or if you, and, and, and if you just sit there and have dyspnea, then it's the higher class and so on and so forth. And the gold standard measurements for that are uh, they do the echocardiogram where they actually see how strong the heart is pumping. It's called ejection fraction, how strong uh, the heart muscle is working. And they also use other blood markers. One of them is called BMP. So we started working with this patient maybe like uh, four months ago. And on top of her heart failure, she also had multiple premature heartbeats. And when she came in and she said, do you think you can help me? And the first thing I told her is, listen, you have a severe heart condition due to your heart failure, but it's aggravated due to something that I think we can easily treat. And the first thing that I, and we started working with her, she had she had heart and lung chi deficiency with, uh, with yin deficiency and uh, uh, lung chi and yin deficiency. And she had liver, she's like, she was a sole parent. She's a sole parent. She has uh, one kid. It, Tons of stress in her life. Uh, also, um, so we started working in, in you know, first reducing the 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 excesses. You know, it was again, it was the liver, pericardium, gallbladder axis, and and within three or four weeks, she started reporting she has less and less palpitations and less heart pounding, and less of these sighings that we mentioned before. And and in in my clinic, I use those ECGs as routine now. As soon as they come in, before uh, the the secretary takes the ECG before the treatment, and as they go out, we do it again. So, and we started seeing the reduction in the VPCs, and she started reporting feeling better. But surprisingly, after three or four months, she did another echocardiogram, and she comes back really happy, and she says, oh, "Look at this! I have an improvement in my. It's called ejection fraction, or EF. It's the degree of strength, and there was like more than like a." Uh, 45% increase in her, in her EF. And she was blown away. Everybody was blown away because she had like a two, two or two, between two and three degree heart failure. And she was back to, you know, back to like one or one to two. Wow. Now, is that something that Western medicine can do? 
Is that something that, that like regular cardiologists can no. no. Actually, no. The best drug that they have now is called Entresto. It's a combination of two drugs. Uh, it's it's it gives some relief, but I would say in her case, it was the integrated therapy because she got this drug. Well, she was on this drug anyway for six months. We didn't, but we added what we did, and I think the combination did 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 the effect. But the the degree of change is something that they they I was told. Actually, I was invited to to her hospital to to talk to her physicians. They were saying, "Yeah, so they so they got curious about why is she getting better when it's impossible to get better." But I was lucky in this case because because her physician, I, I used herbs as well. Okay, and we'll talk about herbs in a second. Her physician was was one of the younger physicians in in her uh, heart failure specialty ward, and he was the first one to say, "Listen, this very." L- there's not a lot we can do for you, you know. Go for acupuncture, go for herbs, and he was saying herbs. Normally, I don't, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. And and you know, uh, and being a nurse, he said, you know, there's no way I, can, I have to ask my physician if I can do herbs first. And I said, yeah, go ahead. And so we were able to use acupuncture and herbs in con- acupuncture in conjunction to herbs. The formulas, the two formulas, the main formulas that I worked with her were. Well, the first one was like uh, that um, Jiao Wei Xiaoyao San, which is a simple formula for liver, yeah, in in conjunction with Sheng Mai San, which is it tonifies the heart, the heart and lung and chest chi. That was kind of like in general the formula, and we had some blood tonifying herbs. So I would say that the, you know the treatment principles were were those uh, really simple. You know, work on the again. Uh, liver, pericardium, gallbladder axis for the excesses, and tonify the heart, chest, and lung for the deficiencies. It was qi and yin, and and the results were great, amazing. Wow, that and it makes sense. I mean, I've heard as, as we've had this conversation, you've been talking about the liver, pericardium, gallbladder axis, and and here's a great case of you calm the liver down, you strengthen the heart a bit. Yep, and things can dramatically change. This is this is such encouraging news. Yes. To hear. I think so. And and I've seen these things when I was in China back, you know, back in oh, what is it almost 18 years ago. I've seen I've seen it there. So it you know, it doesn't come as a, it didn't come as a, a surprise over the years. But but I have to say, you know, it, again, it depends definitely let me give you another example. I I have a, a, an elderly patient, he's 80 Four years old, he has both heart failure and AFib, uh, which is a nasty combination. But he's uh, he's uh, too old to get uh, ablation surgery or any other surgery, and he he was actually quite fragile and weak. And I I started doing I, you know initially I just did just did PC six for him for like that just one point bilaterally for three treatments. And we're getting we're getting great progress. Um, he's getting less bouts of spontaneous dyspnea. So sometimes really simple things can work really great. Sometimes, yeah, you need the more comprehensive, all, all included herbs, acupuncture, formulas approach. Uh, again, this is a, this is a new patient. I've only had him for three weeks, so I don't know. We'll see as time will tell. But but definitely, I'm seeing changes. Can I ask you a question about PC six? Yeah. This is this is such a beginner question, but in some ways, PC six is a point that sometimes really eludes me. 
And, and the reason being is I, I go to, it depends on a person's physiology. There's often veins running through there. There's lots of tendons. Sometimes where I think PC6 should be, it's like, there's no way to get a needle in there. Yeah. Because there's all this, there's all this, you know, hard, you know, not hardware, but, you know, there's all this stuff that's in the way. What do you do about that? Well, first of all, I use PC6 all the time. I, I almost have to. And I'll, I'll reference you to a, 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 I don't know if you've heard of Robert Jones. Robert Jones used to teach acupuncture techniques at my school back in, again, in 1998. Uh, and he has a, a book on acupuncture needling techniques. And in this book, uh, he has a chapter which is called The Wild Card. The Wild Card. The Wild Card. I like that. PC6. Mm -hmm. Okay, it explains why PC6 is like is like a jackpot uh, acupuncture point. Okay, so uh, of course in cardiology I use it a lot. I always find a way to, to get to, to insert it. Sometimes it definitely you need to kind of press to separate the tendons. Sometimes you have to move aside the vein uh, if, if it's there. Sometimes you have to kind of, I, I, I would say this, uh, if there's a vein crossing and normally they cross, so they don't necessarily go with that, then, you know, uh, this is this is teachings of Dr. Wang Jui. He always go, says, go uh, proximal to the vein, immediately proximal to the vein and needle the point. And if you can't move it aside. So I would say it, the jackpot is worth the effort of trying to get in there or the, the wild card. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes you got to go move stuff around a little bit, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, so often with points, it, it's not a textbook location. It's, you know, it's in this area and you got to see what's actually there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else that we should know in getting started with Chinese medicine, cardiology, gold standard. If you do have a chance to visit a cardiology ward in China, obviously this would be the best way. Of course, not everybody can do that, but if you can do that, don't hesitate. If you're thinking about cardiology, go and see what they do over there. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Next thing, there are some books. There's a Philippe Sinuero and Bob Flaw's book on cardiology, uh, which is a nice book. There are several Chinese translated books, those paperbacks, on, on Chinese herbal cardiology, which which you can pick up, which are not which are inexpensive, you know, books are books. It's, it, you never find the right formula in the book, but it gives you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but they, they do kind of give you a nice direction. I remember that for me as a starting point, it was these was really these were really good starting points. There's always the notion of of drugs and herbs and drug herbs interactions, which is... Oh, it's... Yes, that's huge. Yeah. And I, I would say this. It's it's not as huge as we think it is. It's definitely an issue. But at the end of the road, there's like a bunch, maybe 10 herbs that, that are the troublemakers, so-called, on the one side. And there's like 10 drugs on the, on the Western side. Maybe, maybe later on we can attach something to the podcast. I can give you like a list of, of uh, what I see as the big troublemakers. But in general, the, the, the thing to take a look at is, is, is you know, blood, blood thinning drugs and, uh, uh, and, and, herb, and blood moving herbs. Okay, so big ones are like Danshan and, uh, uh, and Dangwei 
and uh, Bai Guo Ginkgo. Those are the big ones to say. Again, and it's not that I don't use them. I use them. I use them all the time. But mm-hmm. these are the things kind of to, to, to take a look at. And that's one thing. You want to be and cautious we, when you're using those. Yeah, you want to be cautious when you use those. And, and of, obviously also the blood the, the, the uh, blood thinning, uh, uh, when your patients are on blood thinning uh, drugs. And, you know, patients that are on herbs long term for, for me, I always, like if I have patients going on herbs for a year, or six months or eight months, I always have them do blood checks every two, three months, you know, to check the kidney functions, liver functions. It's, it's just n- never mind what the condition is. So it's uh, something to take a look at. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're treating lipids or if you're treating heart failure. I mean, if you're giving patients herbs for a long period of time, you know, take a look at their at their liver functions and kidney functions. And I also do like the six one thing. I have patients always take herbs for six days and then one day off. So they only take uh, herbs six days a week. They don't take it seven days a week. So. A, a day off for the Sabbath. Exactly, exactly. So I think one of the most important things in terms of starting a starting point is also trying to establish some kind of a communication skills with Western physicians. If you want to have referrals, you know, go into PubMed or Google, get some research out on Chinese, on acupuncture, and you know, show physicians, listen, man, this is this, this, this stuff supporting this, and you you know can can establish a relation with you know open-minded cardiologists. And I have to say that 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 I see uh, that the new generation cardiologists, the younger ones, are actually more open-minded. It's it's either they're at the end. I mean, the really um, you know the professors that have been out there and like the key opinion leaders, which have nothing to fear anymore, and they're aware of their limits. On the on the one hand, which mm-hmm. are open, and mm-hmm. on the other hand, you have the young guys, which are you know have been brought up on a holistic medicine as well, and and they're open. Every everyone in the middle is kind of more difficult. <laughs> right, and if you use research, that's speaking their language. It shows respect for how they yes. work and how they think, and and, and you've got yes. a common way of communicating about how you know both of you can work together to to help the patient, and really that's why we're in medicine. Yes, definitely. Amas, thank you so much for making the time. This this has been really eye-opening for me and, and hopefully for the listeners as well. Thank you. Anything that you'd like to send me in the way of lists or links or yep. documents like you were talking about, I'll make sure it all shows up on the show notes page. Yes, so, I'll do that. Yeah, folks, send- just head over to the, to the show notes page. You'll get all that good stuff. I'll send you some links and some notes, definitely. definitely. That sounds great. All and right. I would definitely encourage everybody to do now take a look at, at the opportunity of Chinese medicine cardiology and treating treating the heart emperor yeah if there's one takeaway that I've gotten from this is that in many ways we already are true because some of these early risk factors these are things that people come to us they've got other issues that they've come to us with but it falls within that wheelhouse it falls within what we do and so even though we may not think we're working with their heart, in some ways we are, we're at the, you know, especially at the early stages. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. And I love the way here you are, a Chinese medicine cardiologist. And, and when I hear you say, we're working with the emperor, and I, and I hear the respect in your voice, I'd love to get a closing thought on just how we approach and sit and work with the emperor. I think in the old days, first of all, you came in, 
to the hall of the the emperor's hall and you could see the emperor from a distance before you could approach him and then yeah, there was a, i think you know at least from, from what i'm imagining you would approach and you would uh, maybe bow or maybe show some other gesture physical gesture of respect and so uh, putting that into practice i would say that often i don't jump straight into treating like heart points i may treat the liver try to influence the pericard by the liver maybe get some excess out of the gallbladder to reduce the liver from invading into the pericardium when affecting the heart and kind of slowly cover that distance of, uh, in the entrance hall to, uh, until you get to, to the heart. Uh, there are some practitioners that say that you should not be needling heart points at all. There are some books that say that. I, I, I don't use that approach, but I definitely take time conveying this respect by kind of slowly moving closer. Sounds like great advice. Amas, again, thanks for being here on Geological today. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. It was great. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.